good evening, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter Live. A very special guest tonight. Um, joining Let's Talk, um, Dr. Carmen Johnson. Um, I believe she's a, a very remarkable person. She's here to explain her story uh, in brief, um, her past, her her present, and her future. Um, explain an amazing journey um and what she has given uh, this great this great uh thing that we call life so far and i believe that she is a truly a champion and she's still in the ring fighting her fight uh good evening dr uh, johnson how are you today or this evening i'm good, I'm good. how's everything going Everything is going good and I am honored to be in your presence and in inviting me on your show. So, um, you know, I'm always, um, you know, interested in, in, in telling my, ex my experience and where I've been, where I'm at and, and where I'm going. And, you know, I'm always interested in, you know, talking a little bit about our people and, you know, what we should be focused on and, you know, what we should be doing to be, be a, a, a better group of people. Okay. Well, um, I know we have a lot to get to. I mean, I mean, it's like, how could you fill, um, fill a show into talking about uh, everything that we want to discuss in one show would be kind of hard, but we're going to try our best. Would you like to tell a little bit of the people a little bit about yourself, your background. Um, well, I, I grew up in uh, Pentecostal and I grew up with, uh, you know, my, my uh, idol was Mother Teresa. And um, I grew up with, uh, you know, me, you know, as a little girl carrying the Bible to school with me every single day. And, um, you know, in Pentecostal, we would, you know, speak in tongues and, you know, and, you know, get the Holy Ghost and, you know, and things of that nature. And I was this little kid that was like five or six and was speaking tongues and get the Holy Ghost and love Jesus Christ, you know, growing up. And, um, you know, as an adult, you know, I became a, a, a practicing Buddhist subjectively uh, because, you know, after research, um, I realized that, you know, that one on one relationship with God is the most important thing and that I come from the spark of God. So I am God and God is me. And um, that philosophy is is very important to 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 me mm -hmm. and you know extreme meditation and um and being in the presence of god is 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 what i live by for almost 30 years and um moving along um into my career um i became a uh successful businesswoman um, I had a for-profit business and I had a non-profit business um, that was all under the umbrella of financial literacy. Uh, the for-profit business uh, 
offered the services of credit restoration, debt arbitration, financial planning, preparation for bankruptcy, rehabilitation after bankruptcy. We did debt negotiations by paying off uh, debts on people credit reports. And um, we put our clients on small um, payment plans back to us. Um, we were also a member of Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian. Um, in the meantime, um, I started a nonprofit, which went into the public and private schools and taught financial literacy. And we taught the true financial literacy. And we taught about, you know, being self-sufficient and business owners and not being consumers. Um, we preached about saving, you know, your money, which was very important and, and owning land. And, and, you know, and if you can't at that particular time, you know, I was preaching about if you couldn't buy your home cash, don't take no mortgage out, you know? Um, but, you know, back then the, the mortgage, uh, the, the mortgage, the subprime lending and all of that kind of stuff was just running rapid. And, um, you know, the, the credit scores went from, you know, you having to have 750, 800, 740, you know, high credit scores with two and three years worth of um, proof of you being on your job to you could have a credit score. It went all the way down to like four. 50 and all you needed was two pay stubs. And I was trying to figure out what's going on with this market, what's happening. Um, my for-profit business offered services to individuals, but we also offered services to uh, real estate agents, clients, um, mortgage company clients, and the five major banks clients, which we never saw those clients. And, um, you know, we had uh, relationships with these um, entities all around the, the United States. So, Dr. And Dr. Johnson, let me just, I didn't mean to cut you off and I apologize. So if I, if I came to your business back in early 2008 and I said to you, I need to establish generational wealth for my family, I would be the perfect person or candidate that you want to hear from. Absolutely, because then that means that I could teach you from scratch, opposed to you coming in to me dictating what you wanted to do. Okay. Because what you may have wanted to do, I'm sure I wouldn't have believed in. And okay. it got to a point where that's what was happening. These realtors and mortgage companies and big banks started dictating what they wanted from my company. So I started the nonprofit. So, which I well, for, for those in the chat, uh, Dr. Johnson is from the DMV area, um, primarily in Maryland. Um, how, would, how would you categorize how many people um, that your organization helped? Over 5,000. El elderly and children as well, right? Uh, that's why I say over 5,000, 5, but as far as the youth is concerned, I had over 850 babies. Wow. I called them my babies. They were so, my, my babies. Yeah. And I, and I know that we had um, discussed this prior and I read it, that you were, you were 
what was your position with the NWACP? Um, I started out as the youth chair for uh, the NAACP of Prince George's County because I had the nonprofit that went into the schools and taught financial literacy. So some of the mission was along the, the lines of, you know, what I understood to be good um, at that particular time. And then Prince George's County NAACP asked me would I be the uh, the housing chair for the county. And um, I thought about it and then I agreed. And uh, because at that particular time, the illegal foreclosures was running rampant through Prince George's County. Um, and after, you know, saving families from illegal foreclosures, then the state uh, conference uh NAACP of Maryland uh you know asked me would I be the state housing chair and I agreed um subjectively I'm aware that you know these illegal foreclosures were happening all over the United States my mission was about what was happening in the state of Maryland what and Dr. Johnson, what what is an illegal foreclosure for the layman that, that may not know anything about the housing market. What, what is an illegal foreclosure? The, the banks didn't have the documentation to foreclose on people's homes. So they was going into the, the courts with lost note affidavits. That's one example. They were also bundling the, the promissory notes up and trading them on Wall Street. So of course they didn't have the, the documentation because they were bundled up. It's a documentary called The Con that came out in 2020. Patrick Lavelle is the producer of The Con. And um, he and I spoke um, probably about a month or two ago, somebody introduced us. And um, he asked me what I look at his uh, documentary called The Con. And that con spoke about those illegal foreclosures, but it also went into the retirement funds that so many uh, Americans lost as well. So not only did the feds bail out Wall Street, but the feds also bailed out the big major banks. So therefore the tax paying Americans lost out. They lost their retirement funds, they lost their pensions, they lost their homes. I mean, it was just a disaster. And the things in this documentary called The Con, C-O-N, by Patrick Lavelle from 2020, it goes into details about that. And the things that he go into details about was the things that I was trying to tell people back then. And nobody was listening to me. Mm. And here come this white man who makes this incredible five series documentary about literally what happened. It just brought me to tears. And it took me about two weeks to get to the five series because I kept breaking down crying. This was last month. I kept breaking down crying as I was looking at this because he got it right. He hit it on the nose. And they blamed me for what happened in the state of Maryland. Here it is. I was this advocate 
uh, for these e illegal foreclosures that was happening. I was getting these 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 homes back, uh, and I saved over eight hundred and something, almost nine hundred families from illegal uh, foreclosures. And I even went to the the woods and talked to some of the families, trying to get an understanding of what was going on. And a lot of those families those black, brown, and tan families, they had scores of 750, 800, 850, 900. They didn't need subprime mortgages. They didn't need those creative loans. They didn't need that stuff. And they was put in those creative mortgages that they did not need. They had A1 credit. And um, ultimately with those creative mortgages, they was able to have their homes stolen from them. And keep in mind, you know, I, I say all the time in a lot of my interviews, you know, the rumor, you know, is, you know, black men don't marry black women. Black men only make babies with black women. Well, these were black husbands, black wives, black children. And the, the family structure was being destroyed. So that was my biggest concern, it, it, it wasn't the house. It was the fact that they were destroying Black families. That was my concern. And then it, it just got bigger. The situation turned into something bigger. So and now, um, now you're seeing all this going on and you're like, oh no, I, I got to say something. And then what, what ultimately happened? Um... I was polit politically hit. I was told to go back on the news to say that I got it wrong, that I made a mistake, that we don't have any uh, mortgage issues or foreclosure issues in the state of Maryland. And I refused. Mm. And um, I was ultimately uh, politically hit. I was raided three different times. I lived alone, you know, at that time. I mean, I still live alone, but I was I lived alone at that time. And, um, you know, I was being followed by the feds. I was being followed by the, the bank investigators. Um, you know, men was coming up to me, taking pictures of me. Um, my phones were tapped. Um, I was getting phone calls saying the N-word, you know, you better go back on the news. I mean, it was just a horrible experience. And I know what it feels like, you know, when I think about that movie that Spike Lee made called Malcolm X and how Malcolm X stood at the window with a rifle, which I didn't have a rifle, but I would stand at the window late at night and I would see these white men running around in my yard and um, they would come in and out my home when I wasn't there. And my alarm would go off and my the, the alarm people would call me and, and tell me, you know, your alarm is going off again and the police are already there. Like it was just it was so much weird stuff that was happening. I was being run off the road. Um, you know, I was lasered, not tasered. I was lasered. I mean, so much happened. And um, I'm writing a book now. It, it'll be all in my book. But um, people ask me now, am I afraid? I was afraid then. 
but I wasn't afraid enough to 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 take a plea and lie and say I did something when I didn't do it when I knew that my my job was you know helping our community financially on a financial literacy side and also you know helping black families stay together. So See, I'm gonna ask you dur during that time when you um first realized like you seen all this stuff going on and you said that I need to say something about it. And then when they people asked you like, you know, recant your story and you refused, did you realize like I'm waging war or the or, or wars being waged against me with the banking industry to basically a foundation of, of this country? I was green. I had no idea what I was really doing. I just knew that that's what the universe wanted me to do. And the universe put me in that position to have a voice. I mean, you know, I didn't understand that what was down the road was going to happen to me. But if I had to change it and do it all over again, there's nothing I would change. Mm. Okay, that brings us, I hope everybody in the chat hear what um, Dr. Johnson just said, because the next, the next uh, chapter of this journey took a real unexpected turn. She was uh, charged with 24 counts of mortgage and wire fraud. Mortgage bank. Mortgage bank and wire fraud. And mortgage bank and wire fraud. Um, now, after all these raids and all this crazy um, stuff that he's snooping around, um, looking for stuff, basically doing like what we call a financial audit, now they charged you. What? Like, I, 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 you know, I, I, I smile saying it, but I. I I don't know that experience. Um, try to could you try to speak to that experience? Like, okay, y'all charging me with what? The the first two raids, they kept telling me to tell them what I did, and I kept telling them what are they talking about? Like, I didn't know what they were talking about. They were trying to get me to admit to something that they didn't even know. Let's mm. be clear. So they was hoping that they could scare me into saying that I did something, anything, and I couldn't because I hadn't done anything except fight for my people. So, um, you know, I ran a clean business. You know, I had the same CPA for 20 years. Um, the, the attorney, my corporate attorney who helped start my business is now the ch chief judge in, 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 in the state of Maryland. So, you know, um, you know, I paid my taxes, you know, um, everything matched. You, uh, you believed in the American dream. Absolutely. There was no way that my country would do this to me, not me. So now I was. You, now you're being charged with <laughs> 24 counts is kind of a lot of a lot of a lot of accounts for I don't know if anybody in the chat really understands when you um are charged with a crime you may get charged with like three or four counts but 24 counts of 
fraud, wire, bank, mortgage fraud, um, that's facing a lot of time. So now you now you're in a fight. Yeah, they said that I was looking at uh, 30. The first plea was for 30 years. And I'm like, 30 years for what? Like, I couldn't understand what they were talking about. Like, I didn't know what they were talking about. 30 years for what? They like, you tell us. Tell you what? Like, remember, at, at that time, they didn't even know. So by the, you know, next thing I know, they slid me in a real case with 14 Tanzanesians that actually did mortgage banking wire fraud. I sat in, and I'm the only one who did not take a plea. I went to trial. And I sat through that trial with all those documents that I had never seen before. Now, what they did show, they showed credit reports after my company worked on the credit reports. They didn't show the before credit reports. So when they showed you know, the new credit reports, it only had my company on there and my my authorized users on there. They didn't show the messed up credit and they kept showing my ID and they kept showing my different business accounts. But I mean, I had been in business for years. So what, who, who, so, so what I had several accounts, the taxes was paid on the money. The money wasn't hid. Why do I have to hide the money? Those, those, those in the those in the chat that don't understand it, um, Dr. Johnson had federal charges, and um, for certain cases in the federal system, they have this thing called a blue ribbon jury. She had mm -hmm. a blue ribbon jury. I know you, most of you guys that heard about crime or court, it's always uh, you have a jury of your peers, so to say. Uh, explain to everybody what a blue ribbon jury is, Dr. Johnson. Is, is a special jury for special cases. And they are not normally juries of your peers. Now, some places you read, they say they specialize in your, your the, the issues at hand, but this particular jury, that was not the case. They, they wanted to find me guilty. They wanted to get me off the street. So to my understanding, there were some federal agents and retired police officers and things of that nature on that jury. So you, you, you go on a trial, you, you, you basically, okay, these people don't offer me 30 years. Like I'm not copping a plea to no time because number one, I, I didn't do it. So now you're going through this and you were part of the NWACP. And you, they, they abandoned me. I don't think everybody understood what what did, what. I know what you mean by that, but what explain my, this, how they, how, how they abandoned you? Parents, my parents contacted uh, Prince George's County, the state NAACP, the national NAACP, and they said they didn't know who I was. Even though there, there were, I was all over the news, you know, trying to stop the illegal foreclosures that was happening. But, you know, and my mom died in December 2020. You know, my parents called 
the NAACP trying to get help. And they said they didn't know who I was. Wow. And I had been with them for years. I was an executive. Wow. I forgive them, but I'm not, I don't mess with them. I don't go near them. And I suggest, I suggest anybody with an NAACP card to tear it up. Unless you can, you can send me an email on what they've done for you. We can talk about it. Now you, now you, now you speaking to an audience that that may not understand. Um, I, I truly understand that they were um, how they abandoned you and um, what what their aim and purpose initially when they first started was supposed to be. Um, but truly, they have uh, veered off of the mission statements and all that stuff. So now you're in trial. You've been abandoned by the NWACP. Um, all your, let's just say that Dr. Johnson, for lack of better words, very politically connected in the DMV area. All your political connection, connections at the time, nobody is returning your calls. Everybody's abandoning you. I didn't like, really, I didn't really tell anyone what I was really going through because as a metaphysics, a scholar of metaphysics and a, a Buddhist, I just knew that it was going to work itself out and that I had to stay the course. And the course was saving these black families from being dismantled. And that everything was going to work itself out. You know, I understand law and attraction. You know what I mean? You know, what you put out is what you get back. Mm-hmm. So I knew that I was emphatical that it was going to work itself out. And that wasn't the case. At the time, now what you know, once we get up to where I am now, now I can look back and I get it. That's yeah. why I can now is nothing I would change. But so, I, so let's and this is this is where I told you the um the case when I when I first heard about your case and um read it and then you sent me some things and then I've seen how much time. Uh, for those in the chat, Dr. Johnson is not in prison. She's home. So remind you, bring you guys back. Uh, she was charged with 24 counts. She lost trial, um, unfortunately, and she's still fighting to be, and we'll talk about that. She's still fighting. So how much time did you get for losing trial on 24 counts of bank Wire, what? No, wire, bank, and mortgage fraud. Well, I they was trying to give me at that point. They was fighting for ten and a half years, and I ended up getting fifty-seven months. But I was released early and did like three years and a couple of months. And it was women. uh, It was women inside there with one count that were literally doing ten to twelve years. That that's what I wanted to stress is that each count. For her, for the crime, each count she was charged with twenty-four counts, and according to them, she was found guilty for each count. Each count holds ten years. So the judge not only didn't give her the amount of time according to the quote-unquote guidelines, he did not sentence her consecutively, which would have gave her two hundred and forty years. Um, yeah, they said I was looking at three hundred and something years, or something crazy at first, and I'm like, what? What are y'all talking about? I didn't know what they was talking about. 
I didn't know what they was talking about. So now, now you're um, you get found guilty, and this is where the 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 journey, like, really just oh my goodness, your life is upside down. I mean, everything. Now, explain how, and I'm and I apologize for skipping this part. When you first got arrested, they seized your assets. And how them seizing your assets didn't give you. Well, hold on. When they first raided me, they they took my money. They seized my assets and they called it substitute assets. Substitute assets mean that the, these assets are not connected to a crime, but we're going to take the assets anyway. So that's against the law. You're only supposed to take assets that are connected to a crime. And my assets were not, my liquid assets were not connected to a crime. Nor did they arrest me the first time they raided me, nor did they arrest me the second time they raided me. They arrested me the third time that they raided me. And that's when they slid me in with 14 Tanzanian Africans that really did do the crime. So they slid me into a real case. So she she was charged after three weeks. That, that sounds fishy alone. Mm -hmm. So now, unfortunately, you 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 got found guilty. And they 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 arrested you the day you found got found guilty. Uh I was arrested right there at trial. Mm -hmm. And um, I supposed to had witnesses to come the following week. So that Thursday, the bailiff whispered in my ear, don't wear that coat tomorrow or that jewelry or wear that bag or carry that bag. And so I was looking at him and, and he and I was just looking at each other eyes and he shook his head like this. So the paranoia in me was like, are they, are they going to arrest me tomorrow? Well, that can't be true because I got witnesses coming next week. The trial don't end to next week. So Carmen, you're lunching. But I woke up that morning, that Friday morning, and I did not wear my, I'm going to say it, my mink coat or my jury. Carry my bag. I mean, it was cold. It was in February. It was snow. It was cold. And um, I mean, and, and, you, and you earned it. You earned to wear that mint coat, so you gonna wear it. <laughs> absolutely. And um, and I remember what he said, and I did not. I, I, you know, pulled out my wool coat, and you know, and you know, whatever, not knowing that they was going to stop the trial that Friday. And they stopped that trial that Friday and they said, we're going in deliberation. And I'm like, wait a minute. I got, you know, witnesses coming next week to, to, to testify. They deliberated about an hour and a half, two hours, maybe. On 24 counts, it took them that short amount of time. They found me guilty. The prosecutor said that. Um, that I was dangerous, that I was a terrorist, that I was ISIS, 
that um, they had to get me off the streets of Prince George's County in the state of Maryland. They had to protect the community. And I'm like, wait a minute, you know, we go to the same country club. We go to the same Christmas parties. We we hang out at the same, we know, this can't, y'all know me. Wait a minute, wait a minute, this is, I was, I was in shock. And then all these marshals jumped over the chairs and they circled me in the courtroom. And I did not know that I wasn't going back home that day. They didn't even give me the benevolence to go home to handle my, you know, affairs for either one of my businesses or my personal affairs. I wasn't given the benevolence to, to do that. And they arrested me immediately. Immediately. Um, immediately. Wow. And they, me, they drove me, me from Maryland. Let me, let me ask you, did any of the co-defendants, alleged co-defendants, testify in trial that you had anything to do with any of this? The two head Africans that I did know of, because they are realtors or were realtors, um, they both got on the stand and they both said she's not part of our Tanzanian community, nor did she financially benefit, nor did she know anything about our scam. And then one of them said, well, she knew we was a realtor. And then the other one said, well, she did work on our client's credit. But I was licensed by the state of Maryland. I was registered with the Better Business Bureau. You know, I was in I was in insured. Um, I was a, me a member of Equifax TransUnion and Experian. Like, I mean, I don't. Yeah, yeah. Get you were you were considered a, 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 a your company was considered a very trustworthy company to go to when you need financial help and uh, issues with credit and dealing with the credit bureaus and small uh, loans. Yeah, we did small loans. Small we, loan. we negotiated the debts off, off people's credit reports and then we would pay the creditors and then the, the clients would make small payments back to us. So we, we also had like before uh, Russell Simmons had the rush card, my company had um, uh, se secured credit cards. And we were backed by American Express, MasterCard, and Visa. Um, for those, for those in the chat, just just to give you guys, um, you know, from from knowing a little bit about the law, is everything that Dr. Johnson about her, saying about her case is a matter of public record, um, the Freedom of Information Act. So you can actually find out everything that she's saying is true and um it's in the court transcripts um and everything so this is not a, a story that's made up or anything you can easily find out um the situation with her case it's it's all over it's 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 not nothing new um so now trial and all that stuff went on and unfortunately like i said you was found guilty so now it's really like everything's really going haywire and you're being processed in the in the federal system and what well it's being processed well no what they did was they sent me to DC jail so they removed me from Maryland Greenbelt court and they drove me to DC jail and they threw me in solitary confinement 
And I didn't find out to eight days later, subjectively, that I was court ordered to sit in solitary confinement for four and a half months until sentencing. Um, so that first night at that DC jail, they put me in a cell with fecal matter all over the walls, all over the floors, and um, the stench of urine, I can still smell it. Um, it was really, really cold. It was snowing very heavily. Um, it was freezing in that little room. And I remember dropping to my knees and just, you know, putting my arms out saying, Elo, Elo, Lama, Sabathani. I just kept saying it over and over again, which means, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, I've always been a good girl. I've done everything that you asked me to do. Why is this happening to me? And as a metaphysics, a scholar of meta metaphysics, I remember the vibration of God, the universe saying, you're the only person that can deal with this. And I'm like, deal with what? I got to go home. I got to get out of here. I, I can't do this. I can't do this. And um, the eighth day, me being in that stinky, dirty room for eight days, the eighth day, the psychiatrist came. And um, the psychiatrist at that time never looked at me. He asked me what my inmate number was and, you know, I gave it to him, showed him the badge or, or read it from the badge. And he was asking me a bunch of questions, but he never looked at me at that point. And then finally, he just put his ink pen down and he just looked at me and he said, who are you? And I said, inmate. And then I looked at my card and gave him the inmate number. Because in processing, they say that's the number you, you say, you know, because you no longer have a name. You have an inmate number. And um, he said, no, who are you out there? And then, you know, I said, I'm Dr. Carmen Johnson, the housing chair for the state conference NAACP. And um, he and I told him that I was politically hit and I was trying to stop the foreclosures that was going on. So he Googled me. So all these news interviews came up on me being on the news, trying to get a moratorium to freeze the foreclosures in the state of Maryland. And so he turned the, the, the Internet off and he said, um, I'm going to lose my job. You're never going to see me again. And he picked up a piece of paper and he said, I was court ordered to keep you in that cell in solitary confinement for four and a half months until sentencing. And he said, I'm going to release you into populate general population. And um, I need you to fight to get out of here. And I've been fighting ever since. And um, um, I've been, yeah. For those in the chat, um, just to give you guys some idea of solitary confinement, this type of housing in, is, is actually, they're trying to make it illegal in the, in, in, in the federal system as well as the state. Um, this type of housing is inhumane. Um, I don't know about the federal system. Uh, could you explain how much 
just, you know, I don't want you to have to relive that experience. I, I really don't. It, it really, for me, it makes me feel uncomfortable even talking about it. Explain to everyone how long you're in a cell by yourself. I mean, I was in solitary confinement four different times. So we talking about this first time because this first time it was 24 hours a day for for eight days. But then after that, I mean, I spent three more times in the federal system. <laughs> they, you know, throwing me in solitary confinement because I refused to comply. But and, um, um, those in the chat, this is. You're in this cell with a light on or sometimes with a light completely off. So you don't have no sense of what time it is, what you don't hear nothing. You don't see nobody. And it's, it, 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 it's done to break your will and your spirit. Um, it's something that um, for those of you in the guys in the chat that vote or believe in the system of voting, you should uh, contact your local politician and tell them how solitary confinement is one of the most inhumane things that you could ever do to a human being. Um, if you have an animal, just imagine you putting your animal in the bathroom for four months. So uh, proceed, Dr. Johnson. So, um, you know, um, they, that doctor at DC jail released me into general population. And it was probably just as worse in the beginning because we didn't have toilet paper. We didn't have feminine products. The food was slop. And not knowing at that particular time that the news media was calling up to the jail wanting to interview me because I was the NAACP. So when the warden realized that at that time that the NAACP was housed there, then we was able to get toilet paper, feminine products, uh, the meal, the menu changed. They even painted my cell and, um, and put me in a cell by myself, but I was able to you know, go in and out and all of that kind of stuff. It was like a door not a sale sale, but it was like a door type thing. Um, and I was there for four and a half months to sentencing. And I just knew that they was going to say time served or anything like that. Sentencing came four and a half months. That didn't happen. They was like 57 months. And I'm looking at the attorney, 57 months. What does that mean? How much, how much is that? Like, I'm trying to calculate how much is that? I, I couldn't comprehend what they was talking about. And um, I just, I, I couldn't believe it. Um, but I stayed at DC jail another probably two months. And then they moved me to Baltimore jail, something called Supermax, which was even worse. And by the time I got there, like I had lost so much weight. I was so small, like, like I had a light bulb head. I was so small because I couldn't eat the food because with me being a Buddhist, I eat one meal a day for the last 30 years. And, um, and when I do eat it's very healthy. So I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't eat the food. I, I, I couldn't eat. 
Yeah. And um, we were behind this plexiglass. And you know, plastic brings on germs and bacteria. And, 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 and I would lay there in the bed watching the mice run around on the floor. And this is in Baltimore, Maryland. Anyway, it took them probably about eight or nine days or 10 days to get me to my destination, which was uh, Federal Audison Federal, Federal Audison Federal Prison Camp for Women. And when I got there, I didn't know my name. I didn't remember how I got there. Um, I was wandering the compound in the broad daylight I hear with people asking people, have they seen the sun? Now, when I look back, I know what that means. I was looking for God, you know, and, um, but I had lost it. So I didn't know what I was talking about. I don't remember it happening, but this is what I was told. Um, and for almost a year, I thought that I was Christian and I didn't remember being an activist. I didn't remember really uh, anything that ha I had short term memory loss and I had long term memory loss. But what I did remember was that I was a child of God. I, re I read my Bible faithfully. I thought I was Christian. I, re I remember that because that was the seed that my mother planted in in us as kids. I remembered that. That's what I remembered. Um. I never went through any issues or abuse with like inmates or anything like that or the other women or anything except, you know, them calling me crazy and stuff. But I didn't have any problems with that. But, you know, after a year and I got my marbles together and I realized and remembered who I was, I looked around and I saw that the women were being abused and I was being physically abused. And it was women that was being sexually abused also, but I didn't ex experience that. But what I did quickly realize is that, first of all, I was in racist West Virginia. So I had the first strike. I was a, a black Aboriginal American woman. So that's a strike. And then number two, I was an activist. And number three, I didn't know that with me maintaining my innocence, that inmates, guards, staff can't stand your guts when you maintain that you're innocent. And I maintained my innocence. And, um, and once I started getting my strength back and, and getting my marbles back, you know, I filed a lawsuit in West Virginia court for the abuse that we were going through, that we had no mental health care. We had little medical care and, um, and it was a lot of fraud and access going on. And I reported all of that. And in the meantime, between time, I was jumped on by about 20 white male guards. Um, I was strangled and drug across the floor. And here it is at that time, I'm 50 years old and I'm being drug across the, the floor and strangled until I passed out. Um, I was thrown in solitary confinement with the light on 24 hours a day. Um, I was burnt on my forehead with a T5 fluorescent uh, cancer causing light that I was under for 31 days. Um, I started filing all of that stuff in West Virginia. And as I was filing that documentation in West Virginia courthouse, 
my sisters were filing with all the senators and all the congressmen in Washington, D.C. Because you know, all, all of them around the United States have a D.C. office. So they were sending all of the documentation to all the senators and all the congressmen. And um, in 2017, January, the place was raided. The feds raided the, the, the feds because of the abuse that I talked about and that I filed in West Virginia court about and that my sisters notified the Senate and Congress. That's why it's important that you notify your, your congressmen and your senators because you you they are our elected officials. And they'll tell you, well, it's nothing that we can do about this or it's nothing that we can do about that. Once you open up a congressional inquiry or a Senate and, and inquiry, they have to do something. You can't pee on me and tell me it's rain when, when I'm your constituent. You know, you know what I mean? Like we as people of color, we don't know how to make them work for us opposed, opposed to we voting for them and then we're getting nothing. Okay, you need to make them work for you. And that's so how to my some of, to some of the prison population, because you um had the political connection and because you you had the fighter spirit, they looked at you like you were like a godsend because you you basically were able to inspire change under those uh very strenuous and uh bad circumstances so how did they they once they realized once you got back like you said you got your marbles back you you fighting now they looking at you like oh she's somebody let's rally behind her how how were you perceived because like we know said, how the guards perceived you you were like i said when i first got there i was called the crazy woman on the compound because I was wandering the compound, just walking up to people saying, have you seen the sun? And whatever else I was saying, I don't know. And I left that prison camp. My new nickname was Baby Mondello. <laughs> oh, wow. 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 And I refused to answer to inmates. And I refused to answer to felon. And I refused to sit in those classes and say, um, you know, I, I, I hurt people out there and there are victims and I'm the corpus delecti. I'm the victim. I refuse to, to submit to whatever it was that they was trying to do. And um, it didn't feel good being jumped on by some men because I've never been uh, dealt with domestic violence. I think my dad gave me a whooping maybe three or four, maybe five times, probably not five, but I've never been subjected to that. So to have grown men jump on me, grown white men jump on me and drag me across the floor and strangle me with a scarf till I fell out or well, I was on the ground already until I passed out. Um, I still refuse to answer to inmate. If you're not going to call me by my name, I'm not going to answer to you. I'm not going to answer mm -hmm. because that's not who I was and that's not who I am. And even to this day, I'm not going to answer to felon or whatever they want to call, call it. I'm not answering to that because that's not, that's, 
That's not who I am. Okay. So maybe I contributed to being strangled and jumped on. No, but you, didn't, you did not contribute to that. <laughs> I, 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 no, no, no. We ain't going there. <laughs> you you didn't contribute to that. You didn't deserve that. Um, And you shed light on something that a lot of us don't understand is that this is a normal practice in the jail system, um, the prison system, state and local, state and federally, where um, just because a person, quote unquote, has been convicted of a crime, that does not mean that they're asked to be violated and be treated less than a human being in a, quote unquote, free society should be treated. You should still be treated with dignity and respect and not treated less than we treat our animals. So you about to go to I don't know how the federal system is. You get you go to parole or something and they and they um for me in my situation I mean for me in my situation some other backdoor stuff happened. I can't even tell okay. you. What you mean? I I can't, I can't even elaborate. Okay. It was okay. it was the universe. It was the grace of God. I mean, because I was making havoc in there. They was like, get her, get get her ass out of here. Get her out of here. So one of the things that we had talked about, and I, I you know, I still had me cracking up all night was um when you got released. And everybody's now you released, you home. Now it's time to start getting your life back together and uh you got to make money you got to take care of yourself you got to got to you know pay your bills uh the 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 champion this is um this is where i think that her her experience does not define who she really is i think that um this next chapter really explains like you even said that this is why the universe brought you up until this point. Um, explain this quote unquote job hunt <laughs> where everybody was telling you to go get a job. Now, mind you, you guys in the chat, this is a doctor. Well, okay. Well, well, let's be clear. So when I got to the, to the halfway house um, and I remember I was there the, the second day or something and they, banged on the door and opened the door up and they said, you know, here go the paper and you need to go up to the, the post office or the UPS and, and give them this paper and, and you'll get a job. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm not, I'm not prepared. Like for me, I wasn't prepared to, to, to go, go, go to work. Like I just went through an ordeal, you know? So that was the first thing, like, I'm, I'm not doing that. And um, they pretty much told me, well, if you're not going to work, then you you got to get out of here. You know, so, you know, of course, you know, I was because of my family, I was able to get a, a place to, to, to stay. And and I was able to, you know, take a year and a half off and, and get my mind right and all kinds of stuff like that. But so many people that that come home from this ordeal are forced to go to work immediately like there is no incentive there is no 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 mental health there is no understanding there there is no stipend there is no you know when i came home you know 
I owed $9,000, in IRS to IRS, you know, because I didn't give, I didn't have the benevolence to handle my affairs. So I couldn't handle my business affairs. I couldn't handle my personal affairs. So the creditors wrote debts off saying it was income. And, um, you know, it's men that come home that owe thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in child support and all kinds of stuff like that. But again, when I first came home, I felt like I was in a fishbowl. So I was mentally messed up and I had only spent three years and a few months there. So I can imagine people that spend 10, 15, 20, 30 years in jails, camps, cages and 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 camps. I can imagine what state of mind they're in. And this is why it's such a high rate of re recidivism, because you can't function. And for me, just those few years that I was there, you know, even though I was fighting my case and fighting for the women and, and you know, and all of that kind of stuff. When I came home, that's when it really hit me. The mental health piece really, really hit me. And, you know, and I t I've told a few people that, I mean, I had like 10 or 15 different ways how I was going to kill myself. And here it is. I am a practicing Buddhist and a scholar of metaphysics. And that was in 2018. And in 2019, that the, the documentary, the Khalif Broder came out or something, or I saw it. I didn't know how it was going to end. And I had never heard of him either. So I'm sitting here, you know, watching it. You know, I live alone. You know, my family put me in a apartment, all that kind of stuff in DC. I live in DC now. And um, so I'm watching it and I'm just bawling, crying because he kept saying, I didn't do this. I didn't take this kid's backpack. And they kept saying, just say you did it. Just say you did it. So I immediately connected with that piece because they kept trying to pressure me to take a plea. And I kept, I could, I kept saying, I don't understand why y'all want me to say I did something. Like I didn't know the system worked like that. And so I connected first with that. And I'm just crying because I went through the same thing that he went through. He spent three years in, in Raker, Rankers Island and I spent three years and a few months at that prison camp, not knowing the ending of the story. So then, you know, they they had, you know, videos of the guards beating him up and other inmates beating him up, which I didn't have issues of, you know, these women. But I had the issues with the, the guards physically abusing me. So I had that piece. But they had it on video of him being beat up and beat down. And, and I'm just bawling and crying and in 2019, looking at this documentary. And then they finally let him out. And he was telling people, I'm messed up. I'm messed up. I'm messed up. And I was telling my sister and I was telling a few people, I'm messed up. I can't function. I feel like I'm in a fishbowl. I can't think. I can't. I can't handle this. I couldn't handle this word, this new word felon. I couldn't handle that all these alculates that I've done, all the things I've done for our community, all the things that I've accomplished. I, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't, felon, who y'all talking about? Like I couldn't handle it. Not knowing that at the end of that documentary, that young man hung himself from his bedroom window of his mother's house, outside the window. And I'm just bawling, thinking about, you know, suppose my my sisters and my daughter and my dad and my mom at the time, you know, who was still alive at the time, 
you know, what had to drive up here to find me and, you know, and he had laid in here dead for days or weeks or whatever. And that's when I made a conscious decision to get myself together, to fight to get myself together because I didn't want my parents or my daughter or my sisters or my brother to come here and I'm laying up in here dead. And, um, and you know, now I've been in mental health therapy every single Friday, you know, for the last almost three years. And I see a psychologist every week. I see a psychiatrist once a month. That's another thing that people of color don't want to talk about. That's another thing that when people come home from this system, whether it's state or federal, that they don't want to talk about. You know, I work around some of the most beautiful people every day that have also gone through, you know, the, the prison system. And I'm like, y'all not in therapy? Y'all don't think y'all need therapy? But it's, 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 it's their choice. Me, as a, a, a Buddhist, I know that I'm a little off from this experience and, and, and I need to, I need it. I need to get myself together. I need to meditate. I need to heal. I need to do this in order to be a better person in order to be even better than who I was before they did this to me. <laughs> um, I almost got lost in thought there. Um, speak up. Can you speak about where, um, because I think that I didn't, I didn't uh, explain to everybody where are you at with your case? Because her case, Dr. Johnson, for those in the chat, she's still fighting. Um, just because she was convicted and had to serve time and she made it home, the fight is not over. Where? What is the status of your case? This is my second time on my way back to the Supreme Court. So I've been all the way to the Supreme Court and back. Um, my family and I have spent over 300 and something thousand in legal fees. So it's not just poor people that go to prisons, camps, cages, and jail. That's what they want us to believe. What they do with people of color with money, they take your money. They seize your money. And then, then you can't get the right representation to 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 fight them and um so december my mom passed away so my attorneys had filed my attorney filed an air quorum nobis in greenbelt maryland's courthouse about now what 17 18 months ago or something and it sat on the judge's desk for like 14 months or something and so then it finally came back denied. And so my attorney filed in the Fourth Circuit Appeals Court. That sat there for like four months. And the Fourth Circuit is considered as the rocket, rocket circuit. It's supposed to be the fastest circuit. So December 2020, um, I remember, you know, calling my mom at the hospital. And I said, Mom, um, you know, the my appeal was denied, you know. And um, and I had already did a few podcasts saying I'm never going back to the Supreme Court. It's all a, sh you know, charade and, you know, it's all fake and I'm not doing it. My mind was made up. I was made up. My mind was made up about it. And my mom was like, you got to keep fighting. You have to keep fighting. And then she died 348 that morning. 
Um, so now um, I'm on my way back to the Supreme Court. So we will be filing at the end of this month or next month. Um, in the Supreme Court, uh, subjectively, I, I also have a petition that's been on my website since September. Um, and it's not getting much support from the black community. Um, and around that time, that's when President Trump was in office. And so people was telling me, well, you know, you are a Trump supporter. Well, I'm not Democrat or Republican. I'm a Buddhist. So I'm not either one. And um, they said, well, you are asking the president of the United States to do something for you. And we don't ask the government for anything. So I'm like, well, I'm asking the chief and commanding officer, the president of the United States to investigate my case to its fullest on what the Department of Justice did to me. And then I'm asking for a pardon. I'm not asking for forgiveness because I don't have anything to be forgiven for. They Y'all owe me an apology. Um, I'm asking for the case to be investigated. One, one of the things that I, I read was um, they, they, they gave, with the circuit court, the appellate division circuit court gave and um, they upheld the the opinion without explanation. Um, just for those in the chat that know anything about court or don't know nothing about court, usually an appellate division court, uh, SCOTUS, any higher court, whenever they affirm or deny something, it's always a written opinion. It's very, very, very rare that they would uphold the lower court's um, decision without an explanation. So in her case, in Dr. Johnson's case, they did not give an explanation for for upholding the lower court's decision. Nope. So this, so they, this is something they, that we take note of. Yeah, they would. They did not give an opinion. They just said we're going to go with what the lower court said, and that's not what they're supposed to do. And this just happened in December, and it's okay because I'm emphatical that the universe know what it's doing. And I'm not going to question it. And I'm on my way back to the Supreme Court. But in the meantime, um, I'm asking, I'm still now that we have President Biden in office, I'm, you know, still asking for, you know, the chief and commanding officer to um, investigate my, my case and to investigate what the Department of Justice did to me. And um, the president can't exonerate me. But the president can do, you know, some other things, you know, but he can't exonerate me, but he can investigate that case. Subjectively, I'm a little concerned about that because, you know, we got nine Crime Act bills that are on the books and seven of those Crime Act bills are our president of the United States sponsored, co-wrote or wrote that have and created. And we're definitely going to discuss that. Um one of your one of your statements was even though I'm still fighting in the courts in their courts, I do not see a remedy for me. I understand between I understand the difference between exoneration and pardon. Explain explain that statement that um that you said. Um, with a pardon, the president can't re can remove me from this low risk probation that they have me on. Uh, 
removed me from this 2.4 million in restitution that they got me paying $10 a month on and give me my money back that they took, my liquid assets that they took that I paid taxes on that I had for years and years and years. And, um, and you know, pardon me, but he or she can't exonerate me. That only that can only be done through the courts. Only the, the judge can do that. So now, now it leads us to everybody. Um, people were discouraging you to ask 45 for uh, assistance pardon. And now it brings us to 46. And um, <laughs> as an independent, a person that doesn't believe in political party, now the dilemma is the author of these crime bills who's on nine of the 46 crime bills um, is the president. So basically, for lack of better words, and if he was to um, give you a pardon, he would be admitting to his own wrongs as well. Remember, I'm not only asking for a pardon, I'm asking for my case to be investigated mm. because what they did to me was disgusting. So for him to, he, he would have to, I mean, he would have to be open and honest that he helped create mass incarceration of black, brown and tan uh, people in the community. And that I'm not the only innocent person that went to jail. It's, it's just most of them took a plea because they were afraid. The feds got a 98% conviction rate. Only two percent go to go 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 to trial, you know. And then I think I sent you uh, an article, which is a is a couple of years old. The article I sent you, or, or the front of the newspaper, did you see that? Yeah. Where it's uh, some states, uh, some private uh, jails were suing states because it wasn't enough people in the jails. So I mean. That's a lot yeah, of the, crazy. The way that the way that the, um, some of these prison systems are set up is that um, a, a private company will come and go to the state and federal levels and say, we're going to build a housing facility to take the weight off of the state. And they may charge the state or the federal system half the amount of money that it is to house a, 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 the, the quote unquote inmates. So once you take this off the state or the federal systems back, now you have to ensure that it has occupants. So this is the game for, for those that don't know, this is the game that goes on with our criminal justice system. The same ones that talk all this, uh, stopping the recidivism act are the same ones that are stockholders in these private prisons. And um, this is why private prisons are what they are and what they have done and how every how everybody probably from the, as Dr. Johnson explained with, um, unfortunately, our president now has had their hand in, in it for the last 30, 40 years of you make the laws, you circumvent the law to suit the private prisons, 
and then you got money that's reallocated to your family. So it's a big bait and switch game going on in the trap. Wow. So um you 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 come home, you um you're trying to get your affairs in order and your your angel, your sister Karen, um who I who I read about was um she decided to to be she's a younger sister than you? Yeah, she's nine years younger than me. She decided to be the big sister. <laughs> she stepped in yeah. and, and really, really um, did some things. And speaking from a person from experience, um, uh, I owe her a debt of gratitude for what she did for you. Um, you guys, you guys, then you, is this how you guys formed uh, Hot? Yeah, it was her. And um, she forced me into uh, this nonprofit um, and um, we became a 501c3 in August of last year. And um, I, I didn't want to, and um, I just wanted to just really just mope around. And she was like, you gotta, you know, remember who you are. And, you know, my old saying was do something to justify your existence. Together we can create the future. So she was, you know, like you can't do that just sitting around. And um, for a year and a half, I just sat around not doing anything, and I, I just couldn't get it together. And she forced me to 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 get it together. And um, I thank her for that. I thank her for giving me some of her spirit to charge or recharge my spirit so explain explain um and i just put up the website helping ourselves.org um if you guys go to go to the organization that her and her sister started um now she's in the the, the, the business of recidivism um as a person from that had to experience what she went through um i would i would say that she's an expert um, she knows exactly the needs for people that come home. Um, for those in the chat, a lot of people, one of the things that a lot of people that come home from the prison system face is, and it may sound crazy, I'm about to say this, is a basic ID. Some people can't even have a basic ID. They may have been born in another area, another state, and because of 9-11 rules, you need ID to get ID. So if you don't have ID, how are you going to get an ID? So um, her organization um, is 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 really uh, uh, admirable thing. And I think that as she told me, um, as Dr. Johnson told me, this was her calling. Um, I know we think that her calling was the financial literacy, um, being a housing advocate, and her faith. You can explain it, Dr. Johnson. You got me talking. <laughs> um, when I look back now, I realize I now I know what the universe or what God was trying to tell me um, that first night in D.C. jail as I fell to the floor with human fecal matter and 
urine all over the floor saying Elo, Elo, Lama, Sabakana. And the universe telling me, you're the only one that can do this. And um, what um, helping ourselves to transform is going to be focused on is being a hub and partnering with so many different organizations and, you know, sending, um, returning um, loved ones, I like to call them loved ones, back into the community to organizations that are equipped to handle the services that they need. Subjectively, what what my specialty is, is politicians, uh, draft legislation, and the fact that something needs to be done about these uh, dismantlement of these non-crime act bills. Now, I can hear people talking now that, you know, Carmen, that'll never happen and that of this and that of that. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you say. I don't care what vibration you're trying to send to me. I got I have to try. I I I'm I am going to try. And now I realize that is I didn't need to sit in front of President Trump. I needed to sit in front of President Biden and his administration and look them in their face so they can see this is what you did to an innocent woman. And it's so many other innocent, whether you're innocent or guilty, the numbers that they are giving people to, to for jail, prisons, camps, and cages are outrageous. You know, what happened to this your first time? This is a warning. What happened to that? Where are the programs? What about that? You know, so, you know, it's, it's, none of that exists. So these are, these are the things that, you know, helping ourselves to transform will be lobbying for, you know what I'm saying? Meeting with senators and congressmen and, and, and my vision is the president and his administration on what we can do. Yeah, we got the first step act, we got the second second chance act, but the quicker they're letting people out, they doubling and tripling up, putting people in. Not to mention, Lord forbid, our babies that they're sending to jails, camps, prisons, cages, detention centers. You know what I'm saying? No, no one's really talking about that stuff. It's like we're just whispering about it. And people like I'm writing a book. My book is due out in the next 45 to, to 60 days, somewhere around in there. And people are literally asking me, are, aren't you scared? No. I'm a Buddhist. No. No, I'm, I'm not. This, this needs something needs to be done about the enslavement of our people. The involuntary servitude that they continue to put our people in. This is ridiculous. You know, who are the stakeholders? And we know we, we know there are stakeholders in the private prisons. And they said Biden signed a bill and closed down private prisons. Well, what about the BOP? What about this, the state jails and, and, the, and the state prisons? What about that? Who are the stakeholders in, 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 in that? There are stakeholders in those state jails. There are stakeholders in the BOP. Who's, who's reaping the residuals in, in that? So these are questions that no, no one's asking because we act like it's not our problem. Let me, let me say something to you. Before this happened to me, if you would have called me and said, oh my God, Carmen, I just got raided. I was one of those people that would have said, lose my number, you must have done it. 
the government don't operate like that. And I would hang up on you, lose my number. And I saw it for myself. I saw it for myself. You know, and um, and and you know, and it's not a matter of being innocent or or guilty. At this point, no one deserves to be treated like a dog or animal. No one what what goes on behind those closed doors, people who have loved ones, male or female, or youth that's sitting up in there do not want to really tell you what's happening. And I was in a camp. I wasn't behind no bars. I was in a camp and it blew my mind. So I can imagine what men and women and youth are going through that are really behind bars. And the, the physical abuse that I went through, I can imagine what's really going on. You know what I mean? So no one deserves that. And when are we going to stand? Let's let's talk. Let's talk black talk. When when are we going? When are we going to stand up for for each other? When when are we going to stand up for each other? I can't do it alone. And 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 trust me, the only person I got standing behind me is the few people on my board. And when it gets too hot, are they still going to be standing there? I won't know till it happens. I won't know till it happens, but I know I'll be still standing there because I got the receipts to prove it. Well, one, I, one got, of, I, got, I got the phone calls asking, how much do you want? And to stop the, the narrative of these illegal foreclosures and trying to get a moratorium to freeze the foreclosures on these homes. Y'all know we're in the era of the receipts. She got the receipts. Oh, one of the things, Dr. Johnson, that I um I found very unique. Um, explain everybody. Explain to everybody in the chat what your court watches program is about. That that part, I think that is just amazing. It's a young lady, an incredible young lady, that um is an another person that was instrumental in giving me my voice back. And she asked me, would I come and be a part of uh, court watching? And um, at first I didn't want to because I was still scared and nervous and, you know, was acting like a little mouse. And I mean, I was traumatized. I had been through something. And I went on and I decided because it was something so beautiful about her and I'm not gay. I'm not, I don't have nothing against gay people. I'm just, it was just something that was just so beautiful about her and um, her confidence and, um, and the fact that she believed in me, even though she saw this weak woman that had been abused and I'm like 15 years older than her. And so I, I finally agreed February of last year and I volunteered to do it. And um, later on, um, towards the end of the year, I became the director of Court Watch. And I've sat in over 3,000 bond review hearings in um, Prince George's County, Maryland. And, um, you know, we are, you know, trying to make sure, you know, what happened to me and many others don't happen because, you know, strange things happen in an empty courtroom. And um, so, it, you know, again, please. strange things happen in an empty courtroom. 
You know, when when you're watching, when you, you when you have court watchers, you know, the the characters in the courtroom can't do what they want to do to you. Like if the courtroom would have been packed at my trial, I would have had a different turnout. You know, I I I would like to think. But as a, a, a seasoned court watcher, the director of court watch, um, you know, I have about 120 uh, volunteers that uh, work under uh, my um, guidance and about 40 something law students. We have Georgetown, Howard, um, UDC, American University. Um, we have some students from Berkeley. And um, and they court watch as well. Um, I do lectures at different law uh, clinics and uh, law schools and things of their, that nature. And I, you know, I tell my story and I and I talk about how you know, you know, credit my paid attorneys were the different ones that I had at different times and how credit they were. And, you know, it's very important that our young students, our law students, you know, keep their moral compass and go off to be great attorneys and, and or great judges one day. And for them to remember what they saw in court walk and remember the disparity that people of color are going through because no one cares about us. Not even our own people care about us. So, you know, I'm honored to be a, a court watcher. I'm, I'm absolutely honored. And I'm, I'm honored to work under the guidance of uh, an amazing young woman who's driven by uh, ethics and um, morals her, her, herself. And um, I will continue to, 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 to do court watch. The very the very same system that railroaded you. Now we have to believe that this system is somehow going to give you justice. Believe got the word lie in it. <laughs> one of the, one of the, one of the young ladies in the chat um would like to would like to know the title of your book. The pretense of justice. The pretense of justice and um. Dr. Johnson, I really, um, this has truly uh, been an honor to have you on the show. And uh, I sometimes don't think, um, unless you've been in the experience or know some people in the experience, um, don't realize um, that there, there really is political prisoners. Um, some people think that the political prisoners are gone forever, buried under the jail. and um, Luckily, um, as you would say, the universe allowed you to come back to us on this side of defense and to be able to tell your story and for us to be aware of uh, the games they play um, and with our lives. And when you challenge um, their institutions, we understand. For those, for those that don't understand, is the banking institution in this country is as sacred as the court and how they work hand in hand. Um, as they say, money rules this country. So um, 
we really, we, I really appreciate you coming on and um, you definitely, definitely have opened the eyes for myself as well as everybody in the chat of, of what's going on and being aware and understanding that um, this battle of the Aboriginal people in this country is not over. Mm-hmm. One thing that um, most people don't understand is that freedom, justice, and equality fight does not end um, with token gestures of a president uh, or some other tangibles. I don't want to take it because <laughs> the conversation could go to a whole different level that me and you could discuss. But um, like I said, we I, I definitely appreciate you uh, coming on tonight. And, um, I appreciate you 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 having me and allowing me to 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 tell some of what happened to me. And I just want people out there to know that just because someone is sitting in that jail camp cage or camp, it does not mean that they did it. It does not mean that they um, are a bad person. And it does not mean that they deserve to be treated like a dog or animal. And you you can't even imagine the things that go on behind that wall. You can't imagine. And most of if if you know people that are in there, most of them are not going to tell you everything that happens in there. And I'm telling it all. Um, for those in the chat, make sure that you um go to go to Dr. Johnson. She has the website, uh, Carmen Story, and you can sign the petition. Um, sign the signing the petition. Explain to explain to us what the signing the petition do. Be, um, while I'm trying to get supporters um, to uh, show that they are supporting, you know, my efforts, and um, and that they too see the need for the the president of the United States to investigate my case, and then grant me a full pardon. But the biggest thing is to investigate my case. Do not make a donation on change.org. That does not go to me. That goes to change.org. Just sign my petition and pass my petition on. And I appreciate you. And if you want to email me or call me or write me, I'll respond back. Thank you. Um, when when is the book when is the book gonna be released, Dr. Johnson? It's been a, a little challenge because it was due out in February and then March. And now here it is, April 12th. And um, I have a ghostwriter. And so the ghostwriter sends it to the editor and then the editor sends it to me. And then I have to make edits also. So I'm part of the process. And these last few two months or so, I've been getting stuck mentally just reading these words and reading what happened to me, it's been affecting me. Um, but we're getting it along and, and, you know, and through, you know, my, my therapist, we're pushing me along to hurry up and finish. And, you know, um, but it's been, it's been times where I, I have read what the editor has sent back to me and I've literally broke down and, and have cried um, just reading 
the horrors of uh, what I've been through. Um, but I'm getting it together. So we're looking at hopefully 45 to 60 days. Um, but it's it's my fault Great. because I keep getting stuck. And it's uh, been very, very emotional. Again, no one deserves Great. to be in jail. There got to be some other ways, some other solutions. Um, for any 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 other final thoughts? That I love everybody. I love everybody. I'm a Buddhist. <laughs> I love everybody. I send everybody positive energy, and um, you know, I want you all to to love me back and love the people that are behind the walls that need love, and you know, and and fight to get them out too. Cause that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm not just fighting for myself. I'm fighting for every, everybody that's behind that wall and everybody before they get behind that wall. That's why I court watch. So I'm doing mm -hmm. my, do yours. Um, for those, for everybody in the chat, um, we appreciate you guys for joining the show and um, share, share Dr. Johnson's story. Um, even, even tell you can, easily, like I said, you could easily Google it. United States versus Corin Johnson. So it's not hard to find. Um, most of this information um, could be verified in the Freedom Information Act so you know everything about her case is true. And um, share her story, share this, share this interview, um, share her organization, um, share it to sign a petition. Um, like I always tell everybody, the easiest thing in um, with, with having a podcast is to like, share, and subscribe. And these are the stories that we want people to understand that are very real to us and they affect our community. Um, with that, you guys have a blessed and safe night. Stay on, Dr. Johnson. All right.